Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, we're here in South Alabama at the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame ceremony, joined by Philip Rivers, former NFL quarterback. And Philip, want to start by asking you, what does it mean to you to be a Senior Bowl Hall of Famer? Well, I think, uh, no, it's an awesome honor. Certainly thankful. I think more than anything, uh, it, it makes you reflect a little bit. You know, uh, uh, I went to the Alabama Hall of Fame earlier this year, and you go, wow, holy smokes, what are we talking about, Hall of Fames? You know, but um, Senior Bowl makes you think back to, to kind of where it all started in terms of the NFL. You know, that week was such a big week for me. The Chargers were coaching the team that week that I was on, you know, on the South team. And so that had a lot to do with me ending up in San Diego. And then you look at the class that we're going in with. I played against all these guys. You know, some of them are still playing at a high level, but played against all these guys. It's a heck of a heck of a group. But uh, you realize what a big week that was in terms of kind of kickstarting the career and, and what a heck of a game it is. They still do an awesome job with it and how, how, what a big week it is for so many, so many college guys aspiring to you know, get drafted and see where they're going to be drafted. So what was your draft process like having spent all that time with the Chargers staff? Did you have a pretty good indication or was it still going through the process and a lot of guessing? I felt like when I left that week um, in 04 there, January of 04, February 04, right in there when it was, um, I, felt, I felt like the Chargers were a realistic possibility. But but not at one, right. you know, not at one, which turned out to be the case. They take Eli, the Giants take me, and they end up making the trade. But I felt pretty good about it that week. Um, so it, it, I, more so than the game for me, it was it was some of the intangibles, uh, you know, being able to be in the meeting room, be on the practice field, in the huddle, all, go the, you know, the interviews, the meeting, all those little things that you got to see kind of behind the scenes that you can't just get off the tape. And so that's why I felt like that week was going to be a, a positive week for me anyway. Uh, because those things were, 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 you know, were pluses for me going into it. It just I hadn't had a chance to be in front of all these people in that, in that way. Philip, you talked about this kind of being full circle for your career, and you're talking about kind of the minutia of the process and getting prepared to play a football game. And uh, you're entering into a – or have entered into a new chapter of your life in football with coaching. And I'm just curious how your perspective may or may not have changed about the game now that you're on that side of things and having to communicate to a younger generation of kids. Yeah, it's been an awesome transition, and I think, but it's one that I think is, it brings a unique challenge, as you mentioned, each and every day, which is, and I love that part of it. Uh, you never want to get to the, you know, I was told by a coach the three most dangerous words are, I got it, you know, where you just feel like, I got it. You know, and so uh, there's a lot of the football that I know that I wasn't worried about, you know, the X's and O's and how to scheme up something to work in a high school football game, and not, not to the the great coaches and the, and the, the caliber of, of talent we play against. But I wasn't worried about the X's and O's. There's still some things we got we can improve on there. But it was the other stuff that you just didn't know. And then you mentioned the communicating, and I've always seen it as a player of how I've seen it. Not just as a player, but here's how I see it. And it's like, well, how can you communicate that? You can't make everyone see the game like you do, but you can help him see the game better in his own way and how can he grow as a player and this guy needs a little pat on the back and this guy needs a fussing that and this so it's been uh it's been a challenge but it's been a heck of a lot of fun and uh, i've enjoyed the heck out of year one going into year two we got a chance to be pretty good and it's a good group of a good group of young men and we, we we want to coach the whole young man that's our biggest thing is you know most of these guys at any school yeah there's the ones that are going to have the big five-star recruits and maybe we will one day but for most of the guys on a high school football team they're done 
Mm. They're done after high school football. So what are, what, what are we what are we, we're missing the boat if we're not trying to help them be better men for having been in the football program. If it's just to try to win a game, then we're really not we're really doing them a, a, a disservice. So that's kind of where we are as a program. Coach the whole young man, and then yeah, heck yeah, you got a chance to play college football. You desire to play, let's go. We'll, we can do that part too. That part's yeah. the easy part. But we want to we want to have foundational purpose and focus uh, so they can be better young men for having played in the program. I love to hear from your perspective now that you have that weight on you as somebody who is coaching and mentoring then you look back on what your career was like as a player any influences that you had when you were in their shoes that helped give you the perspective you needed to get into the frame of mind that you were in last year yeah well so my dad was my favorite coach of all time uh he was my high school coach and and shoot he coached in high school for 30 years so i do a lot of the things that he did naturally uh but then i think about some of my coaches over the years and there's so many great ones so many great ones most recently I think of Frank Reich. I think of Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley, who's a D coordinator now with the Colts, was also with the Chargers. I think of Norv Turner uh, and, the, and the stretch we had together was, was awesome. Um, I think of also most recently Nick Sirianni, Shane Steichen, both young guys were kind of about the same age, but yet they were we, – we, so that, that was a unique dynamic. So I, I – and I'm leaving guys out. But I had so many coaches that helped kind of shape, well, I want to do that when I'm coaching or I want to be like him. All right, I like that nugget, or I'm going to use that, or I like this style, I like this system. So I've pulled from a lot of guys. Thankfully, I've been around a lot of good ones. Phil, I had a question for you about throwing mechanics for quarterbacks. And Kyle and I, we evaluate college prospects for the NFL. And you had a very unique throwing motion. And so my question for you is, what can you tell us about throwing mechanics and quarterbacks? Because I guess if you were looking for the textbook throwing motion, it wouldn't be what you had, but obviously an unbelievable career. What can we learn from you today about throwing mechanics? Well, I think real quick, I'll give you the quick backstory. Was I grew up around the game as a young boy, and dad's water boy, ball boy, and all that at the high school. Well, I had a big football, and I was little. So I had to lay it in my hand to throw it. So I think when you did that at six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that became kind of – that's how I throw it. Now I'm getting bigger and stronger, and I can grab it, but that – he still just kept fitting in that kind of that slot. So that's kind of the short version of why I threw it a little bit more unorthodox. Then I felt like it became an, a, 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 almost a positive for me because then I could move it all over the place. I had so many different arm angles to throw it around guys and different windows and change the arm angle mid-throw. And so I felt like it became an asset of mine. But I, I think the biggest thing for me when I look at quarterbacks throwing the football is, is how, how long – I mean, when they start the motion, how long does it take? You know, I think that's important. I mean, if it's a long, deliberate, drawn-out motion, to me, that's a immediate, you know, no-no. And then are they accurate? And then after that, I mean, shoot, we can clean up some of the little footwork. Oh, it's too long of a front step or all that. You know, you can clean up that stuff. Ball carriage a little low. I mean, to me, that stuff you can easily clean up. But when they start to throw it, and then are they accurate? You know, how quick does it come out of their hand, and are they accurate? And then, so that's two things, just throwing it. But if they can't process what they're seeing, none of that even matters either. There's been a lot of pretty quarterbacks in routes on air and seven on seven but they can't when it gets going fast they just can't they can't process well, philip i'd love to hear you talk about you talk about weaponizing that arm slot and being able to to throw through different throwing windows you know the style of game that we have in the nfl and college football now is a little bit more friendly to guys who can move around the pocket a little bit so i loved hearing you mention that as a guy who won as often from the pocket as you did can you reflect on how you used that in game situations, whether it's chaos in your lap or I, I got the out route and I know I got a free runner off the edge, you know, 
How was that an element of your game that kind of helped you where other guys who traditionally might have won from the pocket might not have had that at their disposal? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I didn't have many. I didn't have another option. You know, it was like, <laughs> you better figure it out. Or you're going to be sacked and get hit over and over and over. So I felt like for me, it was being able to operate in a, in a tight, congested pocket in as little space as possible, still being able to make the throws. And a lot of mine were check downs to the backs on little sneaks or bursts, as they call them, or, or shallow crosses and being able to, you know, people always talk about you look at the Russell Wilson's the Drew Brees's that are six foot guys you know and oh that's gonna hurt them we I I didn't throw any shallows over guys either you know Tom Brady doesn't throw Peyton Manning we don't throw shallow you know they don't throw those routes over guys you throw around guys and so for me it was being able to anticipate and see where you need to throw it you know I I I talk about Doug Flutie I played with Doug Flutie my first year he was there and he said hey I would make all these same throws I just couldn't see them (laughs) you know so it's just so there there is a lot of advantage to that but it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was just speaking with someone else about that. If you can run and do that, uh, which is what you're seeing now, guys that can do both, you're at a huge advantage. But it's still going to come down to, and we still see it. But Tom Brady at 45 is still playing in the Super Bowl, you know, or, or dang near every year. And because it, it comes down to third and eight, and here comes the pressure, and it's going to be tight man coverage, and who can make the throw? I mean, it's still going to come down to that. Yes, these escapes and throwing these bombs and running for 20, those are huge. They help you big time. I'm not – I mean, it's all – I'd love to be able to run fast like that. But it still comes down to can you do that? Because if you can't do that, the other stuff just can't stand the test of time. Philip Rivers, really appreciate your time. With Kyle Thanks. Krabs, Joe Marino of the Draft Network here in South Alabama at the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame induction. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.